Well, good evening and welcome to, um, to Bible study. Thank you for uh, coming out tonight. And I trust uh, the Lord will bless you as we study uh, his person and character. Uh, last week, we considered the eternality of God. Uh, he has no beginning and no end. And he's not bound uh, by time, but he is outside of it. And we saw that this is essential to all of his attributes because it means that his love is eternal. Okay, there won't come a time when the love well runs dry. Okay, his holiness will continue forever. There will never be a time when the tap is turned on, but no holiness comes out. And God is and always will be good. Okay, the shelves are never bare of God's goodness. And that applies to every single one of God's attributes. And what we're going to consider tonight uh, is actually interconnected with the eternality of God. In fact, God's eternality would be impossible without this particular perfection. And often this quality is included in a definition of God's eternality. And what we're going to be considering tonight is God's self-existence and self-sufficiency. Now, these are attributes that are possessed by God alone. Okay, no one else and nothing else possesses these perfections. Uh, they're definitely incommunicable. Uh, but we as fallen and sinful humanity often live as though we are self-existent and self-sufficient. But that is a foolish illusion. So let's consider uh, together tonight what it means that God is the only one who is self existent and self-sufficient and see how this impacts our lives okay so that's the journey we'll be taking together tonight uh, but i'd like um, to commence with a word of prayer so let's pray now father we look forward uh, to learning more about your glorious person uh, we humbly ask for your help because we're trying uh, to comprehend things that are far too great for our finite minds we ask that you would graciously grant to us the gift of illumination via the Holy Spirit. Help us to comprehend and be struck by who you are and what you are like. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you and I, we are very dependent beings. Uh, we are uh, dependent on others. Okay, this is how our world works. Uh, there's not one individual who does not rely on someone else. Uh, in fact, we're actually heavily dependent on others. We are created beings. So for you and I to even exist, we depend on another. Okay, we are created by God through human instrumentality. So the beginning of our existence was dependent on someone else. We are born as babies. 100% reliance on our parents, completely unable to do anything for ourselves. And it's true that our dependence decreases somewhat, but probably not as much as we think. We are still all very contingent on others. Okay, here's a few examples. We are sustained by God. So every breath that we take is a reminder that we are dependent on him. We need to be educated. We need to be employed, which usually means depending on someone else. When we go to the shops to buy food, 
We are depending on someone to grow that food, someone to transport that food to the shop, someone else to put it on the shelves. Uh, it used to, someone else scan it. We kind of do that ourselves now. Okay, but we are relying on other people. A lot of you depend on the train driver to get you to work on time. We often depend on others to complete tasks at work before we can do our own. When we're sick, we rely on a doctor. We depend on others to meet our relational needs. Okay, we are contingent on someone depositing the paycheck into the bank and so on and so forth. So I hope the picture is starting to become clear. In a thousand different ways, we are very dependent creatures. We are far from independent. Okay, self-dependence is a mirage. Okay, every breath that we take is evidence that we are dependent on another. Okay, Tozer put it like this, quotes in your outline. He said, man is a created being, a derived and contingent self who of himself possesses nothing, but he's dependent each moment for his existence upon the one who created him after his likeness. Okay, so this is mankind. This is what we are like. Okay, a derived and contingent self. We're completely dependent, totally insufficient in and of ourselves. We are very needy and very unlike God. So with that portrait of mankind painted, I'd like to use that as the antithesis. Sorry, antithesis. I can't even say the word. Someone help me. Can someone say? That's the one. I should have used the synonym uh, to help us understand uh, these perfections of God. Okay, so, so what does it mean that God is the only one who is self-existent and self-sufficient? And how should that impact our lives? That's what we're considering. Okay, so our first heading is this. What does it mean that God is self-existent and self-sufficient? Okay, if you had to write down a definition right now, what would it be without looking at the ones I've listed? Okay, how, how would you define it? Now, where we need to begin is by identifying that there are different terms used by theologians to encapsulate the same idea. And these different terms that they use will help us in constructing a definition. Now, as I acknowledged previously, okay, self-existence, what we're talking about tonight, is interrelated with God's eternality. And self-existence and self-sufficiency, okay, the, the two qualities for tonight, they are inseparable. So there's quite a bit intertwined. Okay, and the pieces of the puzzle need to be put together to help us fathom this perfection of God. Now, there are a couple of other terms that theologians use, and really they are synonyms for self-existence, but they kind of emphasize a different aspect of it. So one term that's used is independence. Okay, so you'll read of God's independence. And uh, this stresses that God depends on nothing else for his existence. Okay, he does not depend on anything outside himself for anything. Okay, so he's independent of all things. Now, another term used by theologians is aseity. Okay, so you'll be reading and you'll see God's aseity. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's derived from Latin, okay, that the a meaning from and the sea meaning himself. So God has his existence from himself. He's not dependent on anyone or anything 
else. So what I'd like to do now, if you look on uh, your outline, I've got five definitions there from different theologians. And I hope this will help us as we continue to put the puzzle pieces together of this aspect of God's glorious person. Okay, so the first definition there. God is independent of all things. He's perfectly self-sufficient, not depending on anything outside himself for anything, and is therefore the eternal foundational being, the source of life and sustenance for all other beings. Definition two. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything. Yet we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. Definition three. God's existence and character are determined by himself alone and are not dependent on anyone or anything else. This means that God's being has always been and will always be exactly what it is. God is not dependent upon any part of creation for his existence or his nature. Without creation, God would still be infinitely loving, infinitely just, eternal, omniscient, trinitarian, and so forth. Number four, God's being is also something totally unique. It is not just that God does not need the creation for anything. God could not need the creation for anything. The difference between the creature and the creator is immense. For God exists in a fundamentally different order of being. It's not just that we exist and God has always existed. It's also that God necessarily exists in an infinitely better, stronger, more excellent way. No limitation or imperfection in creation should be projected onto our thought of God. All else can pass away in an instant. He necessarily exists forever. And then the final definition is that God is the uncaused cause, the uncreated creator. He is the source of all things, the one who originated everything and who sustains everything that exists. He is the one in whom all other things find their source, existence, and continuance. Okay, that's all very wordy. And I'd encourage you to read back through. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to give you five summary points. And this isn't from a theologian. This is from Brendan. So it's going to be very, very simple. Okay. So when, when we think of this in, interconnected perfection of God, his self-existence, his self-sufficiency. Okay. Here's five key things to keep in mind. Okay. Number one, it stresses the uniqueness and complete otherness of god okay so god is completely unique there is nothing else like him number two it informs us how god could eternally exist okay this is only possible because his self-existence so god's existence comes from him it's his very nature to exist so when a child asks you who made god this is the answer god is self-existent number three God is not dependent on anyone or anything in any way. Number four, very similar. God needs nothing from nobody. Okay? God has no needs. He's not lacking. He's not deficient in any way. And then number five, everyone is dependent on him. Okay? So God is completely independent and we are completely dependent on him. 
Okay, so, so very practically, what this means is that God doesn't need us in any way. Okay, and I think that probably tends to, you know, shatter us in our self-esteem society. Okay, but God doesn't need us. Okay, God didn't create you and I to fill some void in his life. Okay, to, to, to change the famous saying, God didn't have a man-shaped hole in his heart that only we could fill. Okay, he didn't create to fill a need or to cure loneliness or boredom. Okay, sometimes you, some people will say, you know, God created man okay, because he was lonely. Okay, but that's error. Okay, we, we have a trinity. Okay, so, so there is eternal relationship within the trinity. Okay, God is love. Okay, and that needs to be eternal because God is eternal. Okay, in order to have love, you need to be relational. And hence, that's the importance of the Trinity. You have that in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect relationship for all eternity. So God wasn't lonely. He wasn't lacking relationship. Okay? God is not lacking in any way. Okay? Before he created everything that we know, he existed in completeness. Okay? He's not dependent on someone else supplying anything for him. Okay, nothing and no one adds anything to God. With God, there is no unmet needs. There are no unsatisfied desires. And understand this too. Okay, I'm saying something similar, but in a slightly different way. Okay, neither creation or redemption. Okay, they, these are the two big things about God. Okay, he created the world and he's provided a way to save the world. Okay, neither creation nor Redemption. They don't add anything to God. They merely declare the glory that God already possesses. Okay, can you see that distinction? Okay, it doesn't add anything to God's glory because God is already glorious. Okay, that, that's an eternal reality. He's perfectly complete. He's perfectly sufficient in himself and always has been. Okay, we or nothing else add to him in any way and he doesn't need anything from us god is not dependent on you god is not dependent on me in any way and this is good news because if god had needs okay if god was lacking in some way if he was dependent on someone or something else that could be used against him Okay, if God needed something outside of himself, he would be capable of being controlled and coerced by that need. But because he needs nothing outside of himself, he cannot be controlled or coerced or manipulated or blackmailed by someone who possesses something that he lacks. Whereas for we as mankind. Okay, the greater our need, the greater potential there is for us to be coerced or convinced into paying a steep price to meet it. It's like when someone's child gets abducted. You know, a parent will pay whatever it takes to get their child back. Okay, but God has nothing that he needs. He's not lacking in any way. Okay, so we cannot be manipulated or coerced. Okay, so, so this is God. God is perfectly complete in need of nothing he doesn't depend on anyone or anything. He's self-existent and self-sufficient. But perhaps that makes you think, well, 
If God doesn't need me in any way, then what's the point of existence? Okay, is there really any significance? Now, one theologian offered this reply to such thinking, and I believe I've got this in your outline. He said this, in response, it must be said that we are in fact very meaningful because God has created us and has determined that we would be meaningful to him. That is the final definition of genuine significance. God does not need us for anything, yet it is the amazing fact of our existence that he chooses to delight in us and to allow us to bring joy to his heart. This is the basis for personal significance in the lives of all God's people. To be significant to God is to be significant in the most ultimate sense. No greater personal significance can be imagined. Okay, so this is the grace of God extended to us. He doesn't need us in any way. We supply him with absolutely nothing. And yet he chooses for us to be meaningful and significant to him. Now, with my attempt to explain this perfection presented, however inept it may be, we need to move to the next point, And it's a vital one. Does the Bible teach this? Okay, that's important. There's no point me just getting up here saying, you know, this is what I think God is, because you could do the exact same thing. Okay, so does the Bible teach this? Our second point, scriptural evidence confirming this perfection. Okay, there are a lot of scriptures that could be listed to prove either explicitly or implicitly this perfection of God. And what I'd like to do is to list uh, a few verses with just a couple of comments and then consider one passage of scripture in more detail. And I was meant to include a, a list of, I think it was 11 points, but I forgot to do that. I'll try and remember to email it to you. There's 11 points with lots of scripture proving this particular attribute. So verse number one, okay, I've got four verses I want to work through quickly. Okay, John chapter five and verse 26 says, for as the Father hath life in himself, okay, that's the key phrase, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, okay, life in himself. So this is what we see here, God has life in himself, he's not dependent on anyone or anything else for life. In other words, he is self-existent. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36 says for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen so paul's outburst of praise here teaches that everything is dependent of god all things are of him and through him and yet he depends on nothing uh, acts chapter 17 verses 24 and 25 says God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything that's the key phrase seeing he giveth life to all that's the next key phrase and breath and all things so here we see that God has need of nothing 
and he gives life to all. So again, the creation is dependent on him, but he needs nothing. He doesn't even need man's worship. Okay, because he is self-sufficient, he requires nothing. God is the all-sufficient one. Then the next verse is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Has it ever struck you? The Bible doesn't start trying to prove the existence of God. It simply commences with one of the most... profound and significant statements ever written it'd be hard pressed to find so few words that are so significant and so deep okay it assumes that god has always existed and for that to be true he needs to be self-existent god is the uncreated creator okay so that there are four verses and many more could be shared now i'd like us to turn please to exodus chapter 3. And uh, this this is an incredibly uh, important passage of scripture. Uh, It's the account of the burning bush, probably a story that we all know well. Uh, The context is actually Moses receiving the call to ministry. But as he receives this call, he offers uh, all kinds of excuses to not serve the Lord by returning to Egypt and leading the people. And um, when, when I preach through uh, Exodus previously in chapters three and four, I think it reveals five excuses. There's the excuse of significance, the excuse of stupidity, the excuse of skepticism, the excuse of speech, and the excuse of send someone else. That was when I used to be uh, obsessed with alliteration. So there's five excuses, and uh, I would argue that we too are guilty of those same five excuses but that's a different message okay exodus 3 i'd like to read the first uh, 14 verses the word of god says now moses kept the flock of jethro his father-in-law the priest of midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of god even to horeb and the angel of the lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Okay, now I'm trying to picture that in your mind. Okay, there's this bush; it's on fire, but it's not consumed. Okay, it just keeps burning. Verse three. And Moses said, "I will now turn aside and see this great sight: why the bush is not burnt." And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, "Moses, Moses!" And he said, "Here am I." And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows isn't that a beautiful verse okay god has seen the affliction of his people he has heard their cries okay so when we are suffering and when others are suffering god sees god hears verse 8 and i am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey 
unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And now Moses' excuses start. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. And when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Okay, so God has answered the first excuse. Who am I? Surely Moses will go now. Verse 13, excuse number two. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Verse 14, very important verse. I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Okay, brief explanation here. Moses, the former uh, Egyptian prince, is now a lowly shepherd. Um, he doesn't even have his own sheep. He's caring for his father-in-law's sheep. Day after day, he works tirelessly in the scorching Middle Eastern sun, and life seems quite monotonous. It's now been 40 years since he's left Egypt. Around about 40 years of leading these sheep through the hot, dry desert. That's a long time. Okay, 40 years. Nothing exciting happened very often. That was until one day. He was near Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, and he saw a most peculiar sight. Okay, a bush on fire was not unusual in the desert. These particular bushes would often catch on fire. But a bush that was on fire and not consumed, that was certainly not normal. Okay, and, you know, I, my imagination goes a bit crazy sometimes, but you know, I imagine Moses is like, oh, there's another one of those silly trees that's on fire. Turns away, looks back in five minutes. That tree's still on fire. Looks back at his sheep. 15 minutes later, it's still on fire. Half an hour, it's still on fire. And then it talks to him. It's like, whoa, that's certainly um, not a, a normal day for Moses. He must have been shocked when a voice came out of this bush that was not consumed. And this was God speaking. It seems this is a pre-incarnate Christ. And he informs Moses that he has seen the predicament that the Hebrew people were in. And again, that's such a comforting image that God sees what his people are enduring. Okay? He has heard their cries and he's about to act. Okay? So, so not only does he hear, not only does he see, but he's about to act. He's going to intervene. He's going to deliver his people from Egypt. He's going to bring them into the promised land. God will keep his covenant promises, those that he made with Abraham. And when Moses heard this, okay, that, that must sound wonderful. Okay, that sounds great. But then the plot twist, the part that Moses didn't like, oh, Moses, um, you're going to lead the people. Right? So, yeah, excuse me, did, did, I, did I hear you correctly? This is God 
calling Moses. Now, upon hearing this news, I think it's safe to assume that Moses must have been shell-shocked. Okay, what was happening? And then he immediately goes about offering his excuses, uh, which is really ironic. He's talking to the God that knows everything, and he's trying to convince him that, God, this is a bad idea. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Can you, can you see the irony there? Okay, God knows everything. But Moses is like, you know, are you sure? Okay, have you crossed this T and dotted this I? Um, and one excuse that he offered okay, was this. Who do I say that you are? Okay, the, the people are going to ask, well, who, who, who sent you? What, what do I say? What is your name? And this excuse was graciously combated by the Lord with a marvelous declaration. God reveals his personal name. Okay, I am that I am. The Lord says, okay, Moses, tell them that I am has sent you. Now, I am is a translation of the Hebrew verb to be. When we talk about the verb to be, we know that as I was, I am, and I will. Now, it's important to understand that I am is not the name, but rather it's a description of the name. So this I am declaration is God giving meaning to his personal name, which is Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh was the special name by which God revealed himself to the Israelites. And it was therefore extremely significant and greatly revered. Now, its importance is shown by the frequency it appears in the Old Testament with over 6,000 appearances, okay, three times more than any other name. Now, what we need to understand is that in the Bible, a person's name is a description of his or her character. Okay, we've kind of lost that uh, in our society. Okay, but, but with that in mind, the names of God in Scripture... They are descriptions of his character. It says something about who he is and what he's like. Okay? And I am that I am. It actually reveals an awful lot about God. You could probably list you know, five or six okay, qualities that this name reveals. Okay? So we saw last week that God is eternal. I am that I am suddenly declares that. Okay? And it also communicates that God is self-existent, that he is self Sufficient, okay? I am. He's the one that depends on no one else. One commentator summed it up like so. He says, everything owes its life and being to God, but God is independent. He does not owe his being or his attributes to anyone else. He simply exists all by himself. He's not dependent on anyone or anything else because he has his existence from himself because he is the I am. Okay, so this is the testimony of Scripture. Okay, this is declared through God's personal name. He's completely independent. He needs nothing from anyone else. He has no deficiencies that need to be met. He has no unsatisfied desires. He requires no help. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. And this is actually illustrated by the bush. Okay, because that bush, it kept burning without being consumed okay so that is a picture that that's an illustration of this perfection of god okay so our god is self-existent and self-sufficient he's dependent on no one for nothing okay the westminster confession of faith puts it like this it says god hath all life glory goodness blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient not standing in need of any creatures which he hath 
made. Okay, so this is our God. And, you know, it really blows my mind that God doesn't need me. God doesn't need any of the creation for anything. And yet he chooses to have a relationship with me. <coughs> and he delights in me. Excuse me. Delights in me, even when I choke. <coughs> and you know, he delights in us, even though we contribute absolutely nothing to him. You know, what a great God we serve. Excuse me. <clears throat> now, like with many of the perfections of God, we often tend to chase those that are not ours to possess. Okay, and so often, you and I can be guilty of living like we are self-sufficient. Okay, you know, we, we can think that, hey, I'm self-sufficient. And this is how I'd like to apply this perfection in our third point, the symptoms of self-sufficiency. You know, I'd argue that all people are prone to believe the lie of self-sufficiency. And I'd like to suggest that we who live in an affluent country and an affluent time are particularly vulnerable. For most of us, you know, we don't have to worry about where the next meal is coming from. Most of us have food in the cupboard. Most of us have at least uh, some money in the bank. You know, there's lots of things that we don't uh, have to think about. And it's very easy for us to become self-sufficient. And even as Christians, we are not immune. And I think often we can live our lives as though we are self-sufficient. <clears throat> but here's the thing. We are dependent on God. Why? <coughs> because that's how we're created. Okay, God needs nothing from us, but we need everything from him. <coughs> oh, man. So what, what are the symptoms that we are living as though we are self-sufficient? Okay, what are the symptoms? Well... There's an excellent book. It's written by Jen Wilkin. It's called None Like Him. And if you want a book on the attributes of God, it's a wonderful book. And she lists some marks of self-sufficiency in the life of the believer. And I like to use her list uh, to help diagnose ways that self-sufficiency may have latched on like a leech in our lives. Because often... When we think about this, we go, okay, <clears throat> I know I'm not meant to be self-sufficient. I, I know that okay, God alone is self-sufficient. And we think, well, hey, I, I don't think I, I struggle with this. But when we work through some of the symptoms, I think you will realize that this is probably a greater struggle for us than we realize. Okay, so there's eight symptoms from this book, None Like Him. So number one is prayerlessness <coughs> so our self-reliance causes us to cease approaching god with petition praise confession or thanksgiving 
because we credit ourselves as the ultimate provider, we cease conversation with our true provider. Okay, so prayerlessness. And think about that just in the realm of provision. You know, if we lived in an agricultural society where we were dependent on rain in order to get food, I think that would drive us to our knees a lot more when it comes to prayer. You know, but here, how, how do we get food? You know, we go to Woolworths or Coles and, and there's food there. Okay, you know, how, how often do we pray about your basic provisions? Okay, so prayerlessness. Number two is forgetfulness. Like Israel in the Old Testament, we forget the past undeniable provision of God. Like Israel, we trust our current and future needs to the idol of self, which we have adopted from the surrounding culture. You know, again, I think often we have tough times and that will drive us to our knees. We're forced to rely on the Lord and that's good for us. That's our blessing out of the hard times. But then things get good again and we think, hey, I've got this. It's all good. Okay, so forget for us. <coughs> Number three, uh, anger in trial. Oh man, I'm sorry. Uh oh, it's all gone. Okay, angry in trial. When difficulties force us to come face to face with our limits, we feel anger at our exposed need. <coughs> We're unable to count our trials as joy. Seeing them as a verdict on our weakness instead of an opportunity to learn reliance on God. Number four, five, six, seven, and eight, it's all in your list. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through them. If you can read them, then I've got one paragraph to conclude, and hopefully I can do this. Okay, you know, from this very helpful list, I assure you it's very helpful. Um, I wonder how many of the symptoms are present in your life uh, or in my life. Okay, in what ways are you believing that you are self-sufficient? You know, if this has become apparent to you as you're okay, reading through this list, okay, stop carrying that crushing weight. Like, man, it's a crushing weight to think that, you know, I have to do all this. I have to be the sufficient one. Okay, that, that's a huge burden, particularly when you're not self-existent and you're not self-sufficient. Only God is. Okay, and God has made us dependent. Okay, that, that's how we're created. And ultimately, okay, you and I, we need him more than anything else. Okay, that, that's how we're made. And also, you and I, we need other people in our lives. Okay, we, we need that. Because only God has no needs. You and I, we both have plenty. Thank you very much. We both have plenty of needs. And we both desperately need help because we are insufficient. And that's by God's good design. Okay, it's a good thing. And may the Lord help us to be able to accurately see where we've become self-sufficient. And by his grace, may we repent and stop trying to be like God in a way that we're never meant to be. Okay, give that up and rest in his sufficiency. Okay, the one who has no needs and is able to meet all of our needs. My friend, that is a God worth following. And that is a God worth worshipping. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I do thank you uh, and praise you for who you are, uh, the, the self-existent and self-sufficient one. Uh, Lord, I know, particularly in the definition, there, there are some uh, complicated things uh, for us to, to get our head around. And uh, I do pray that I haven't caused confusion 
Uh, but this would uh, shed some light uh, on this particular aspect uh, of your character. Lord, forgive us for when we are uh, self-sufficient. Uh, you know, this, this is a battle for each and every one of us. Uh, but, but help us, Lord, uh, to be uh, resting uh, in you, uh, the all-sufficient one. Uh, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.